0: This is Critical Nonsense, our high lowbrow show about culture, science, and tech. This week, Joey asks me about AI centaurs. Centaurs? Centaurs. You know what I mean.
1: Woo! I was going to sing the never ending story song, but I don't feel like I know it enough. So, this is what a Joey sounds like. <laughs> and. This is what an executive producer and Falcor, Jess Vander, sounds like.
0: What did you just call me? Hi, this is <laughs> Jess.
1: You know the dragon dog from the Never Ending Story, I the still flowing I don't even know what that is. pink hair. The Never
0: Ending Story, a film Gosh. series, a novel.
1: You make me feel older than anyone in my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I'm sorry. It's one of those.
1: I think it, I think it is the <laughs> convergence of the fact that we do have a number of years between us, but you also have like not a large wealth of pop culture reference oh, knowledge.
0: you. You take that back. I know many things. We just don't have overlapping trivia segments. Like if you were, you and I were to do trivia together, we would offer different things. Also, sidebar, I'm terrible at trivia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love trivia I was like I, I, I bring everything to the table at trivia I love uh, trivia
0: I Yeah, I feel like you and Aaron I would want on my trivia team and then I would sort of coast it's like the one era, like I'm not a coasting type but I would absolutely coast on the trivia team to just revel in other people having the answers and me being like cool I'll write it down I'll be the scribe
1: and then you'll be like the Brannock device. Uh, <laughs> like every, the, every
0: 10 questions, I'll have one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Jessica, do we have any... Um, have you, do you have any updates or corrections related to your theories of success or <laughs> packing or anything that we need to address before getting into this week's
0: conversation? So... Packing-wise, I've, in the last 24 hours, had to pack yet again for a travel. And in this experience, um, uh, a conversation has somehow uh, simultaneously happened in the company um, advice column chat, uh, wherein people were talking about travel backpacks. And that a far underutilized but verging on essential backpack trait for traveling is, which I'm realizing as I'm saying, this is not really packing. This is just travel related and having the things required for travel. But having a backpack with a strap that runs across the back so that you can slide it over your roller bag handle so that it will sit atop it without sliding around. And instead, if you're like me, you sort of like attempt to recreate this phenomenon by like crisscrossing the backpack straps yeah. over it. and it, crisscross and
1: applesauce. It,
0: but it does not work. <laughs> it just slides it around. It does. It's,
1: crisscross applesauce works every time. It's, <laughs> crisscross
0: applesauce. Um, so that is one thing that is a very long, drawn-out comment. Another long, drawn-out comment about packing um, is uh, never knowing what to do about toiletries because there is this thing where there are some things that you can pack that at any amount of time in advance, but there are some things that you are actively using, and so you must wait to pack it. Until the day of, unless you are someone who is living in luxury and just has second copies of all of those things, like another toothbrush, <laughs> what an <laughs> indulgence. <laughs> but but if you're like me, you just have to wait till or or things, you know, you can't, like medication and other stuff like that. but the the morning of, oh no, I didn't leave enough room for my toiletry bag. Is a Mm. a different type of panic that I think a lot of people might be able to relate to. And then it's like, I guess that's in my carry on now. I guess I just (laughs) have the floss at the ready at any time, which is not the worst. It's not the worst thing.
1: I mean, uh, this has been another episode of Jess's travel anxiety, um, (laughs) (laughs) which is like also potentially an episode of just being appalled at how joey does like i just have in my backpack like (laughs) there's floss there always like
0: all the time
1: never gets used it's just there like it is just a a a void of nonsense and like an absolute bundle but i know it's there so um all right jessica i want to talk to you about centaurs
0: don't play me like this because that sounds fun, but I actually know it's not about <laughs> centaurs.
1: <laughs> it is about centaurs. So, um, you know, we've been, this is not the first time we've spoken about generative AI and and sort of the implications of AI, but since the last time we spoke about this, which I, I think we discussed sort of generative AI art in Midjourney and mm-hmm. Dolly 2 and some of the uh, evolutions of that last year and discussions about, you know, is it going to eliminate artists and and all of those questions. Um, we have been in the recent, let's call it the past three months, a sort of fever pitch, maybe for the past four months of conversations about generative AI as it relates to the launch of chat GPT and sort of evolutions in those platforms and additional platforms that have come out and while we're not gonna sort of go into the deep dive on the benefits and merits of those different things or you know uh you know the the size of the models or i mean maybe just if you if you want to talk about uh the training and uh you know transformer conversation maybe we can try to go there but what I'm more interested in is there's been a couple of studies that have, you know, early academic studies that have come out now that GPT Chat Chat has been readily available and been able to be used in things where academics, like management academics and, and things like that. Um, Ethan Mollick has been talking a lot about this. He's a professor at uh, Wharton and sharing sort of emerging things that have been coming out. Um, about the impact that uh, the sort of introduction of generative AI into an individual employee's sort of workflow or you know, giving them access to it in certain tasks is having on their performance and things like that. And it made me think a lot about an idea that I think we've mentioned on here before, but uh, this idea of Centaurs that I think I'm not sure whether it was coined by Garry Kasparov, but I think maybe popularized in certain circles by Garry Kasparov after Deep Blue beat him at chess. He started Centaur Chess, which is any number of people or any number of AIs can be on either team and you compete in a single game. What's interesting is that, you know, the centaurs always beat human-only opponents, but the centaurs also always beat AI only opponents as well, um, and this idea sort of that emerged out of that is this like benefit of multi-style, different intelligences bringing things to the table, and in sort of the panic and frenzy around what is generative AI going to do to us, and are we all going to lose our jobs, and is the world go- world going to end? Which maybe all of those things are non-zero chances that any of those things could be happening Um, I think there's a sort of opportunity to look at what is to come a little bit differently and so Jess my question for you is how do you feel about centaurs and what centaur do you want to be
0: what are my options
1: I don't know, we're, we're in an unknown future state, right? We don't know exactly how these things are going to roll out, but in some of these studies that are coming out, one from um, some folks at MIT, um, Shaked Noy and Whitney Zhang at MIT wrote a paper called Experimental Evidence on the Productivity Effects of Generative Artificial Intelligence. and what they found was that individual actors had uh, a .8 standard deviation decrease in time to achieve a specific output and a .4 standard deviation increase in the quality that arises when an individual actor is working with generative intelligence. And so the idea is that you you can get things done Almost a full standard deviation faster and half a standard deviation almost better with the current tools available. And so, my thinking is right, you know, as we're talking about where does all of this end up and what will our jobs look like in these instances, there's another study that had um, come out that spoke about um, people actually being significantly happier. Um, when they're performing their jobs in these instances. That paper um, is called When and How Artificial Intelligence Augments Employee Creativity by Nan Zha, uh Xu Ming Luo, Zheng Feng, and Chung Cheng Liao uh, out of USC Temple, Sichuan University, and yeah, and Sichuan University. But it spoke about how. Like people were sort of enjoying their work more because it was like faster, more effective, they're more productive. And so all of a sudden, you know, and all of the fears about this, like, I don't think people are like, oh, maybe I'll like my job better. Hasn't been one of the topics of conversation or I may enjoy my work experience better because I can produce more and, and uh, feel more satisfied in, in what it is that I produce. Um, And I don't, I'm I'm curious, like, how does that sit with you? Like the idea that things may actually be like positive from this as someone who I know has a certain amount of like reticence and skepticism around this conversation.
0: Interesting. I feel like what you're saying, which is. Fair is like, what if we just think about AI like another person to collaborate with? You know, like that's basically the point, right? Like, if you think of them as a collaborator versus a substitute, then also things can be good. But I think with any amount of teamwork, someone is doing something like they are playing a role in that team. And I think the Mm Of course skepticism comes from uh-oh is that the role I tend to play? <laughs> is it is it yeah. like are they going to be the me of the team because then where do I go if I don't do that? Um it, which makes a lot of sense. Um and I I bet in certain contexts the type of collaborator that they are is more useful in a you know with a, a different mix of people like you know, how we know how teams that are more diverse working teams like produce more creative outcomes and things like that. Like mm-hmm. of, of course it makes sense by adding yet another point of view that would on net be beneficial to, to that type of end. But um it's also working with some it's like working with somebody <laughs> different and like knowing how to ask them questions and like knowing how to interact with them. That's kind of interesting. I guess. I'm trying to understand what a centaur has to do with any of this because I still feel pretty good that this is not a conversation about centaurs and instead it's a conversation about teamwork.
1: I think the original idea came from, right? Like a centaur is half horse, half person, and (laughs) sort of like takes the best of both of those sides as a mythological beast. It has like the full body of a horse. And instead of like the neck and head protruding, it is like from hips up of a human being. So it has the intelligence of a person and the hands and manual dexterity, arms of a person. But then it has the body and legs of a horse that is like powerful and fast and can run far and do all of these things. And and you know, in battle, which is I think a lot of the context where centaurs maybe came up. Although you know, I'm not a Greek mythology expert by any means. I remember some, um, it, it, you know, they were incredible. Uh, they were basically like a, a cavalry and a uh, like militia in one. And so they were more effective fighters on the field of battle in mythological stories, right? And so in this instance, right, you know, when it came to chess, it was like half person, half AI competing, Against other half people, half AI uh, intelligences at chess. Um, and now we're sort of saying, like, because the, the models and, you know, particularly large language models, at least in, in how we're thinking about things today, are, you know, suddenly like radically advanced and capable of doing really interesting things. Instead of saying, like, it's going to take my job. What does it mean when you say like, oh, I could just be significantly improved at my job? There's this idea, I think it's called um, the lump labor fallacy. Uh, Yeah, the lump labor fallacy is the assumption that there is a fixed amount of work to be done. If this were true, new jobs could not be generated, just redistributed. This, This comes up a little bit in this AI discussion where it's like, you know, uh, the amount of output of any given company is at X and you introduce AI models that are able to do, you know, like percent X uh, that an employee could do. So the employer would then theoretically just only use AI agents, whereas, uh, and be, you know, cheaper, it would be like more efficient in producing that the way that a lot of people talk about this is like, if you have a current cost, you have all of these employees and you introduce a bunch of AI into the mix, what if you can do 5X instead, right? Like your company can grow, it can be more productive, it can increase you know, the speed with which it produces whatever it's producing. And so why would you just you know, say, I'm going to keep my production at a static level and just reduce costs as opposed to, Increase your ability or effectiveness in doing whatever it is you're doing and do more of that or better of that. Yeah. uh, Yeah. With an expanded workforce.
0: Yeah. I feel like that is just sort of the, like, it's like the market theory conversation around AI and like people coming to terms with that. What I think is more interesting about this, like, this thing that you're introducing here, though, is like, what other than the market trade-offs of introducing AI. Like, how else can we think about it? And I'm realizing that, like, I think I am more drawn and maybe even more open to the framing of AI being an additional team member than perhaps, like, the Centaurian or Chimerian or Minotaurian interpretation of AI as, like, (laughs) a kind of hybrid self or, like, a biohacked self. Like, that that sort of individualistic augmentation is not appealing to me. And it's in fact also scary in it's in a different way than sort of those market fears are for me. I think it's that idea of, um, you know, thinking about yourself and the value that you have to offer and that that would somehow be changed, you know, changing like what you can provide as an individual. Whereas if you are imagining AI as you know somebody to add to your team, like a like a superhero or like somebody mm-hmm. who's like who you'd want on your team, then it feels it doesn't it doesn't feel for some reason like you need to be lessened for to make space. For mm-hmm. this addition. And I think that's kind of like this introduction that you're saying of like the lump labor fallacy in the market context is a great example of like this pattern of, um, you know, when I'm thinking about AI, it feels like I have to let go of something or I have to compromise on something, or maybe not compromise, but like that I have to, that something has to change about me, which is different than like, you know, it, it, ch- it might need to change the way I think about interacting with this thing and how it can help me and where it won't help me. And, um, that sort of, um, that collaborative interpretation <laughs> of what this yeah. could do is a lot more appealing and also like weird to, to, yeah. it's like a net new thing to, to figure out.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, the, I don't disagree with, anything that you said. I think it, it's just sort of like a perspective in framing. And I think what what that idea of like the term centaurs or whatever is, is viewing any team as like a holistic entity. And then the question of which, you know, which portion of this, you know, chimera or, or centaur or whatever are you providing? I think what's interesting about this is like, you know, in this instance, the AI is like the horse legs, right? It is like so doing a lot what of I was the gonna, labor.
0: That's what I was going to ask. So, like, if you look into the the like, I think typically Greek mytholo- mythological creatures um, or mythical creatures, um, they are all varied, like variant combinations of like a subs, like a smaller set of like peak animals. So, like the sphinx, the hippogriff, the centaur, the chimera, the pegasus, the griffin, like all of those are some combination of human, lion, eagle, horse, and snake, I think, as though those are or like bull. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, right, the minotaur is
1: like, is like yeah, bull. Right,
0: bull. Okay, yeah. So but, but like probably like the top 10 strengths and it took me to a place of like <laughs> if there were you know the equivalent, like personality test or like Enneagram or Myers Briggs of like your, I guess like Chinese zodiac is like the closest approximation, right? It's like the Chinese zodiac of like what you provide in work and like productivity contexts. Um, what animal would the AI be? And it's interesting that you said horse, as in in like is that the type of like are horse people the people who should be afraid? <laughs> Like is is a yeah. horse?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it, I mean right? maybe. Right. I, I think like in the Centaur example, I think it is a horse. It's like literal horsepower, right? From like a computational perspective. Like we would use we use that metaphor, you know, from like physical labor or like kinetic movement perspective, like the power of one horse for a car, right? Like how much can it pull and how fast can it go and so on. Uh what I think in this case, the way that I've been sort of framing it to date is that the sort of at least in our current iteration of tools that are sort of emerging right now based on large language models, it has no executive function. It is not going to act independently from whatever you do and so it's dependent on you to sort of take on the executive defu- the executive function to deploy it on whatever challenge and in whatever way you need to accomplish something, right? Like it is adding horsepower to what, you you know, I'll give you like a few examples of what I've used it for like recently effectively and just been like, Oh, this is like amazing, right? Like I was trying to build a really complicated uh, uh, equation in sheets in sort of data processing and i might have turned to like you and trevor and chloe in the past to be like help me build this equation why is this equation not working or or christopher uh, and you know in the instances up until now i like even with christopher i had not been able to get this equation to work he couldn't and he is like very expert at excel And through like 30 minutes of just like iterating and working through it, I was able to get this equation to work. And I was like, holy shit, like I have been trying to do this one equation for months. (laughs) With its help. And (laughs) yeah. And suddenly it could do it. But then there are other instances, right, where that is like a very like logic based, like knowledge based, like maybe I could have figured out, but I would have had to like learn all of the sort of coding language of Excel, which I am not an expert at in order to create it. Even though I knew what I needed to do with the data and like mathematically I understood what I needed it to do, I just couldn't make it happen. Uh, And then like other instances are like, I've been going through like review season and I've used it as a supplement in that process to either gut check anything that I'm missing, like. Uh, ensure that I'm sort of communicating strengths and growth areas like effectively like is it clear and in some instances it's given like really pointed clear feedback uh, uh, around certain things where I'm like or identified things that I was I was sort of missing because I wasn't tuned into them maybe I I had like it's not you know not like a, a bias in sort of like demographic or people style I may just like prefer certain types of skills to other types of skills and was like actually mm-hmm. this thing is like coming through consistently in their reviews and you were just sort of tuning it out and like oh that's a good thing to bring up and so like in these instances or like I got it to do a factor analysis and like clustering and I was like I know instances when it's able when it's relevant to do a factor analysis but I can't do a factor analysis myself and so in all of these instances it's like I have to tell it. I have to like, you know, create an input and a prompt in a way that is like telling it what to do. But in all of those instances or most of those instances, it was a thing I wasn't capable of doing myself.
0: hmm Yeah. It's, in some ways, like, it's funny because we're so used to turning to our computers for things already, like, just asking. <laughs> asking it a question. And now it's like, you can ask like a shockingly complicated question and it still can just do that for you, which is funny because it's, it's actually a more familiar task in that way. I also, um, as you're thinking about this, I think, um, another, another thing that it reminded me of is, um, the types of, um, biological interactions that, like say fish can have with one another. And like the immediate instinct might be to be like, oh, AI is a parasite. Like it's taking, like it's taking (laughs) for me because like we are teaching it and like it is, it requires us to give it things. Where in like, I don't know, I I wonder if maybe what you're suggesting here, this is not again, necessarily a revelation, but like, is it more of like a commensalist or like mutualist kind of relationship where either like it actually gives you stuff and doesn't really need much in return because like it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't like benefit in that same kind of a way or, or maybe you do have to teach it and give and, you know, feed it and water it and whatever. Um, But what you get is help Cracking this research problem that even other team members couldn't figure out because th- that's not how their brains work, but a computer brain kind of works that way. Um, yeah, and I like I I think again I'm just drawn to this space of like the frame of how we consider this tool and what will make it less intimidating or um, potentially like what will inspire us to see that it can be useful in ways we didn't even realize that we could use it for.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about like mitochondria and and sort of like eukaryotes and things like that where this sort of like symbiosis that was able to, you know, through like the simple enveloping of mitochondria into larger cells, like all of a sudden a massive amount of complexity was able to emerge yeah. through yeah. the introduction of a single thing. Like obviously... AI models, depending on how you view it, are like massively more complex or maybe not. I mean, mitochondria are like quite complex if you think about it from like a pure like machinery perspective and their ability to like produce, you know, DNA and RNA and, and mm-hmm. process energy. But like the, the universe and like the story of life seems to be just a continued trajectory towards like increasing complexity from Mm -hmm. the sort of entropy of the universe and this seems like a new massive wave in increased complexity and sort of like ultimately like the conversations that we're talking about of like how do we use it and what does it mean is us just contending with like a very punctuated introduction of a significant amount of complexity into our day-to-day lives
0: yeah and like With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And also like validity to all of that conversation that I, you know, we're not getting into, but you know, I
1: also,
0: also fair and valid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Also absolutely the alignment problem. And we need to make sure that they're our friends. Um, Yeah. All right, Jess, do you want to try and do a wrap up corner? Uh, Jess's centaur corner.
0: Yeah, look, I'll give it to you. There are some things that this conversation had to do with centaurs. Not just sort of the chess story of um superpowering problem solving with the power of multiples, but also the idea of the kind of force that AI brings into our world. Maybe it's kind of like a horsepower or maybe it's kind of like a team member, but There are ways that we can think about the good that AI can bring, even though there are plenty of things that are reasonable to be scared about of what it couldn't in terms of market conditions, in terms of societal implications. Like All of that makes a lot of sense, but in terms of your day-to-day, maybe even your job, we're already seemingly, per what you found, Joey, starting to see that there are immediate benefits that can sort of make everybody um, able to do more things if we just unite horse with head or whatever animal you want to call it. And some biology talk, because why not? Um, Yep, I think that was about it.
1: I I mean, I think you covered it. The only thing we didn't address is what type of centaur you want to be. Um, Or... Or
0: I I don't know creature. if you gave me a, I don't know if you gave me a sufficient answer, but if I had to fuse animal strengths, I don't know. I think the lion is, um, the, the lion eagle combo is pretty, pretty difficult to beat. Uh, with your head is, on it,
1: <laughs> a lion yeah, eagle which is Griffin, with a Jess head. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right. Right. Lion, lion eagle, human—that's just pretty op, so, you know.
1: <laughs> so it, yeah, so it's basically just like ChatGPT and MidJourney and Jess fused into one. Yeah,
0: that's the powerful that's the being. The super, the super <laughs> team member. Absolutely, I am involved in that somehow.
1: <laughs> yeah, got it. Well, we did our work here. That's right. <laughs> Critical nonsense is a Sylvain production.
0: Brought to you by Horseshoes for Humans. If you are a human who needs some horseshoes, boy, do we got the shoes for you. <laughs> uh,
1: as always, we'd like to thank our executive producer and Smithy, Jess Vander.
0: Thanks, Jerry. We'd also like to thank sound engineer and our literal horsepower, figurative horsepower, Alex Cottell.
1: <laughs> we'd like to thank our programming Coordinator and Medusa, Les Jacobs.
0: Oh, that's good. And thank you to our production crew and the soaring eagles of our land. Sorry, Gilbert <laughs> my stretch.
1: As always, thanks, Ellen. Thanks. Special thanks to Forks. fun analogies like oh. centaurs. Thanks, Gary Kasparov.
0: <laughs> you know what? You know what though is a hybrid that we don't need is the spork. It's just worse at both. So just be done with it.
1: I don't know how I feel. Like, what about like the the sporkife? There's some of those in camping gear that is like a spork with a knife edge on it also, which I'm like, part of me is like,
0: it's kind of cool.
1: And then the other part of me is like, yeah, but what, <laughs> when do I, I need a the knife?
0: I am of the belief that a fine-edged spoon and chopsticks are the only utensils you need to eat anything. But, you know, that's another time for another contentious topic.
1: <laughs> Thanks, flatware. Uh, or cutlery. Thanks, or, both. Look, this is about gratitude. We're thankful to
0: We're just, like, super everything. thankful for all of these options that there are. Really thankful for the ceramic spoon, which has a different value than the metal spoon. Uh, would also like to thank mythology. Thanks for helping us dream, and yeah. for socks for keeping our toes warm.
1: And, and you know, just you know, as to keep good with Pascal's wager. Thanks to our new AI overlords that will love this show and think that we're very good, and want to be our friends
0: totally we said it first we totally kowtowed as soon as we could because (laughs) yes sorry for all of our mistakes (laughs) (laughs) um well you know thanks joey for bringing this topic till next time
1: bon voyage sayonara adios other goodbyes i don't know anymore (laughs) Au revoir. Love you. Mean it. Bye.
0: Bye. <coughs> I'm deleting emails from my inbox.